Well, welcome to the Wonderful Words of Life radio program. In this session, we are going to be in James chapter 4, and I've entitled this chapter, Knowing to Do Good. My, 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 have we received a picture of James, who is called the just. Now, if you've been following along in this study on James, then you know what kind of a preacher James is. Now, we told you before that James was, was the brother of the Lord. He was not a believer until after the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, where the Lord appeared personally to James. James then became a believer in the Lord Jesus. And in about 10 years later, uh, he was one of the leaders of the Jerusalem church. I think the primary leader of the Jerusalem church. But uh, James is a straight shooter. Have you ever witnessed preachers like that? They shoot straight from the hip, no holes barred. Uh, they don't uh, sugarcoat anything. They give it to you. <laughs> Amen. Praise God. I've witnessed a few of those in my life. I've sat in sessions with a few of those. I, I tell you, they'll, uh, if there's an ounce of, uh, of sin in a person, uh, that those preachers will make that, uh, uh, make those folks squirm. But anyway, this is the kind of man that James is. And this is why he was called James the Just. But he's also a man of love. He's a man of passion, passion for God but passion for the people of God. And when you consider uh, those Christians that James is writing to, well, you, then you can understand uh, the harshness, seem, seemingly harsh uh, words in this letter. And, well, I pastored almost 29 years, and really, to boil human nature down, there's really two kinds of believers— there's the believer that loves Jesus, uh, has a strong prayer life, loves the Word of God. He is easily entreated. It takes just a gentle touch to move that individual. And to have members like that is such a blessing to a pastor. And then there's the other kind, that the only way that you can move them is with dynamite. And so, so this is a dynamite letter, and this is James. Now he's attempting to move these people out of following and yielding to the spirit of this world into repenting and then begin to learn how to yield uh, to the spirit of God. So that's really the crux of this letter as far as I'm concerned. And uh, I certainly hope that you have enjoyed it. I know James is really a hard letter to read and to study, but you can see the gold and you can see the real value in this letter. Uh, if, uh, uh, you know, in studying it and really coming to understand what God's view is, what God's opinion is of his children uh, walking in truth and in holiness. Amen. So, but before we begin, we want to hear from the psalmist. Notice what the uh, psalmist says. He says this, I will extol you, my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you, and I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works. 
Men shall speak of the might of your awesome acts, and I will declare your greatness. They shall utter the memory of your great goodness and shall speak and sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy. The Lord is good to all and his tender mercies are over all of his works. Amen. Father God, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we ask the Holy Spirit, come alongside of us, help us discern truthfulness in what we're going to study today in this session. And Lord, we'll give you, yes, Lord, and just anoint the words of the speaker. And Father, we'll give you all the praise and honor and glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, James chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Now, I've entitled this section, Yielding to the Spirits of this World. Spirits being elemental spirits, spirits that are in this world that attempt to move men and women away from God. Notice what James says, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lusts, that war in your members? Remember now, James is writing to a group of Christian believers. He's not writing to the entire church. He's writing to some within the church that are behaving like the world behaves. In other words, they brought the world into the church and that and their actions now are not only affecting themselves, but affecting one another. And it's also it brings harm to the church. And I'm sure that if you've been a believer any length of time and you've been in church for a while, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. There are people who are believers in Christ Jesus. But when they come in, trouble comes with them. But notice that James says this. He says wars and fightings among you. He's talking about warfare. He's talking about fights and quarrels. Have you ever been in, in or witnessed a church fight? Oh, I have. I've witnessed a few of them. I tell you, it is very unsightly. It's very grievous. And so here we are in, in verse one and considering that James is speaking to Christian believers now. Hebrew Christian believers who thoroughly understand the commandments of God, especially the commandment you should not kill. And here they are. They're killing one another with their words and with their actions. I don't think this is a literal killing. I think this is a, a metaphorical killing for wounding, wounding people's hearts and uh, causing division and dissension uh, within the church body. Uh, you know, and I know it's hard to contemplate. But uh, wars and fightings, they go on in the church world today. I mean, we, all you have to do is just uh, look up the news and, and you'll see there's going to be something in there about uh, uh, certain factions warring against one another. Verse two, you lust and have not, you kill and desire to have, you cannot attain uh, and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you have not because you ask not. You want something, but you don't get it. And so you're willing to kill and to covet. You're willing to do whatever needs to be done to get it. But you can't have it because God is not allowing you. So what happens? So you quarrel and fight. Uh, speaking of the, 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 uh, the men and the women that James is writing to. And notice that James says you desire to have, but you can't obtain. So you want what others possess so they want 
what others possess, but they don't. They don't have. And then James says, you fight in war and you have not because you ask not. But now listen to what Jesus says here. This is Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 through 33. Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or whither shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. This causes me to remember the wandering in the wilderness of the Jews and how that uh, when they got thirsty, they would murmur. When they got hungry, they would murmur. They got tired of the bread, even though God supernaturally. Can you imagine three million men, women and children out in the desert and God supplied them with bread every day? I hope we understand how many boxcars filled with bread it would take to satisfy the hunger needs of three million people. How many boxcar loads of bread it would take to feed three million people an entire day, every day, seven or six days a week? Well, the sixth day, the portion would have to be double because the Hebrews were not allowed to go out and, and, uh, and labor to get the bread on, on the Sabbath. That's amazing. And so here these Hebrew Christians are, they're lusting and for things that they want others, that, that they see others having, they want them too. And they're willing to kill, they're willing to defame, they're willing to, they're willing to do whatever needs to be done to get it. And uh, I'm sure that you and I have witnessed certain church members that are just like that. What do we call them? Well, we call them carnal believers, flesh-ruled believers. Amen. We're not to be flesh ruled. We're not to follow the flesh. We are to follow the spirit. Isn't that right? Verse three, you ask and receive not because you ask amiss. That word amiss, notice what it says now. This word amiss is the Greek word kakos. And kakos means bad. You ask and receive not because you ask with bad motives or with wrong motives that you may consume it upon your lusts. See, this reminds us once again of the children of Israel and how they lusted for meat. They got tired of the bread. They wanted meat. So God sent them quail. And when the quail was in, when the flesh of the quail was in their mouth, God sent in a plague. He judged them over that. Aren't you glad that you and I are living after the cross, after the redemption? When Jesus Christ, he's the one that uh, is full of grace and truth. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Now, notice verse four. You adulterers and adulteresses, know you not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Let's break this down. First of all, the, the, uh, the first two words, ye adulterers, is not in the original manuscripts. So the original starts off with adulteresses. And see, in a figurative sense, this leads me to believe that, that what James is addressing, he's addressing those people, part of the bride of Christ, that have adulterated themselves with the world. 
And notice that James is saying to them this. He says, don't you know that the friendship of the world is enmity, hostility, hostility towards God? And isn't it a sad fact that there are those in the church that are actually hostile towards the things of God? Instead of being a friend of God, they're actually in opposition to him. We see it in the in the news all the time. Whole denominations. They have chosen to oppose the Lord because they would rather have the favor of men than they would uh, the favor of God. And then James says this. He says, whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Listen, I don't want to when when it, judgment time comes, I don't want to be found to be an enemy of God. I want to be a friend of God. Amen. And I know you do, too. We want to be friends of God. That means we're going to walk in love. That means we're going to stay in the word of God. That means we're going to have a, a, an abundant and a very strong and fruitful prayer life. We want to stick close to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We want to welcome in the Holy Spirit. We want to remain humble. Amen. Before him. Praise God. Amen. We don't want to get caught up in the flesh. And I know we all have. You have, I have, we all have. We've got caught up in the flesh. When I, when I think back in my early Christian uh, experience, some of the things that I did, for instance, uh, when I was younger, I could not stand screaming children. I could not stand uh, having children when I'm trying to do something, acting like children. Can you imagine? And I would get upset. I would get angry. And then I would say something, I would lose my temper, and uh, just cause a scene. Well, that's ungodliness. That's carnality. That's being flesh-ruled. And it took a while for, for the Holy Spirit to deal with my life and cause me, through growing up spiritually, maturing spiritually, to get to that place to where uh, I, th- I threw those, those emotions off. Amen. And now I get around my grandkids and they're yelling and screaming and raising all kinds of cane and and just having a good time. And instead of getting panicky or getting uh, tense or upset or angry, now I just laugh. I love it. I love them doing, you know, within certain limits. I love them. I love them and enjoy them being in my living room and them just having a great time. But see, that, that takes time. It takes the Holy Spirit dealing with us over time. Amen. Praise God. So I think what James is doing here is he's addressing those, uh, that group of, of believers in the church that are actually being in their actions now, in their speech and in their actions. Remember last chapter we talked about taming the tongue. Well, what uh, James is talking about here is taming our actions, making sure that everything that uh, that we do is salted with salt, that we are that we are actually the salt of the earth. Uh, verse five. Notice this. Uh, do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit that dwells in us lusts to envy? Notice that lust to envy. That word lust means passions, passion. Jealousy. Notice what uh, what Moses records in Exodus chapter 20, verse five. Thou shalt not bound down thyself 
to them, talking about idols, nor serve them. For I, the Lord, thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. Think about that. And so James is saying here, don't you, don't you see that the word of God says that he's jealous over you? That the spirit that dwelleth in us lusts to every or has passion is jealous over us. He desires us. Amen. Now, some translators indicate that the word pneuma, which is a neuter noun, spirit, translated spirit, indicates the Holy Spirit. But I just don't think that. I don't think that's that's so. I think what James is addressing is the inner man of those believers that he's writing this letter to. Because we are a spirit, we have a soul, and we live in a body. Amen. And Jesus reigns on the inside of us. He reigns in the center of us, our heart, the center of our being. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Amen. And God is jealous over us. He's not going to share us with the world. He's not going to, he doesn't want to share us with the flesh. Now, we haven't arrived yet. You know, we are spiritual beings, but we still have the lower nature to deal with. Isn't it fun being a born-again believer? Isn't it fun? Isn't it wonderful being a child of God? There are times where it is almost like heaven, and it would be if it were not us having to continually deal with the lower nature putting the flesh under, crucifying the flesh, learning to walk in the spirit so that will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Amen. And in this life, with these mortal bodies, it, it has to be that way. Because if, if we never had a problem with our flesh, if we never had a problem with the testing and temptation or a trial, then we would actually be in heaven. So why would we want to go to heaven when we have heaven down here on earth? But no, there are there are things that we're going to have to stand against. And notice that uh, what um, what James is saying here, he's saying that God has passion for you. God is jealous over you. He desires you. He desires you unto himself. And he's not going to share you with anybody else. You are joined to him. You are married to him. Amen. He's not going to share you with any other. You are his own. You are his own prized, precious possession. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. I tell you, that blesses me. But now notice beginning in verse six now, James, he starts talking about yielding to God's spirit. Okay, so we are not to yield to the spirit of this world. We are to yield to the Spirit of God. And this is how we do it. Notice verse 6. But he gives more grace. Notice that, more grace. Wherefore he says, God resists the proud. Now, here's the root sin. Here's the root cause in these uh, Christians that James is writing to. What's the base sin? What is the root sin that causes all the other sin, the fighting and the quarrel and the lusting and the desire to kill, to get whatever, to do whatever one has to do in the flesh to get what he or, or she uh, has a passion or desire for? It's, it's the sin of pride. That's the thing that uh, caused Adam to fall, the sin of pride. Wherefore, he says, 
God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Amen. James, uh, Paul said this, where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. There's more grace to overpower and to cause the believer to overcome sin than there is sin. So when we're tested in area, when we're tested in our passions and in our emotions by our lower nature, understand this, that when we resist that, God gives us the grace to overcome. Praise the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, this word resist the proud, it's an old military term. It was a term used in battle. One army resisting the onslaught of the other army. Amen. God resists the proud. So God is actually going to stand against the proud believer who's walking in the flesh. And he's going to make sure that uh, whatever that Christian believer, whatever he's a passion for, whatever he's lusting for, and he's going to get it any way he can, that that person's prayers are not going to be answered. And then, and then James says in verse 7, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Notice that. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Why is so much of the church wrapped up in the things that they're wrapped up in? Because they don't recognize and they're not able to resist the devil. So the devil just comes in and he just riding roughshod. His deception. He's deceiving whole denominations and churches concerning these things. And we can see the church world in this chapter right here, what's going on. And why are they not able to resist the devil? It's because they haven't submitted themselves, therefore, to God. They haven't humbled themselves. Go back to verse 6 again. God resists the proud, but gives grace unto the humble. They're not humbling themselves before the Lord. So therefore, they're not submitting themselves unto the Lord. And therefore, they're not able to resist the devil. They're not able to run the devil out of the church. The devil's there. I mean, he's sitting on the front pew. He may even be behind the pulpit. And people don't know what to do. They're, they're, they're so weak concerning the things of the Spirit of God that they're not able to detect because their, minds, their eyes have been blinded. Their, the eyes of their mind have been blinded. They're not able to see what's going on. But now, if they would at once humble themselves, submit themselves to God, acknowledge the fact, you know, we're going in the wrong direction. We're, we are way, way out. We are out far beyond. And, you know, there are church leaders in this world today that want to change the Scripture. They want to change the scriptures so that they would be able to accommodate the world. We've got it backwards. That's perversion. No, I tell you, brother, I tell you, sister, we've got to stick with the word of God. I don't care who mocks. I don't care who fusses. I don't care who fights. I don't care who shouts. Attempting to shout us down, we've got to stay. And I don't care what kind of pressure the world tries to bring up against the church. We have got to stick and stand upon the Word of God. And when we do that, you know what God is going to supply us? Enough grace to overcome. Now, isn't that a blessing? Praise God. And then 
Verse 8, draw nigh to God and he'll draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, your sinners, and purify your hearts, double-minded. Drawing nigh to God is an act of worship. So when we submit ourselves to God, we resist the devil, then we're able now to draw near to him as an act of worship, and God is going to accept us. We're coming with clean hands. We're coming with pure hearts. Amen. We've already dealt with these things. These Christian believers, this is what James is telling these Christian believers. You've got to deal with these things. Don't you understand what's going on? Well, they obviously they didn't. And then verse 9 and 10 is talking about uh, repentance. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. These Christian believers that James is writing to, their entire experience is on the surface. There's not... They are not allowing the Holy Spirit to do that deep work on the inside of them that needs to be done so that there's things in their life that can be dealt with and the Holy Spirit now can deal with them and, and put them to death so that then the child of God can then begin to grow in the things of the Spirit. Amen. Humble yourselves in the sight of God and He shall lift you up. That's, to me, that speaks of revival. These, these verses here are speaking of revival. And now James in, in uh, verse 11, Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaks evil of his brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. In other words, what James is saying to these believers, you're supposed to obey the law, but you're making law. Kind of like the judges that uh, we have in this country uh, today. You know, they, they make their own rules. They make their own laws. And then verse 12, James says, There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are, who are you that judges another? In other words, God's the only one that's qualified to judge. We're not. We're not qualified to judge. But he is. Amen. And then notice, how in these last few verses that our boasting should not be in ourselves. Our boasting should be in the Lord. Notice he says, go now and say, this is what you say now. Today or tomorrow, we're going to go into such a city. We're going to continue there for a year. We're going to buy and sell and get game. And James says, but you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. And then he says, but what's your life? It's even a vapor, the brevity of life the uncertainty of the future that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Let me tell you what, what we are to do. We as believers in Christ Jesus, we are to completely separate ourselves from the spirit of this world, the elemental spirits of this world. And when we do that, and we continue to do that on a daily basis, we're not going to give in to this culture. We're not going to give in to evil. We're not going to speak evil of one another. We're not going to get caught up in gossip or any kind of backbiting or anything like that. We're going to be slow to speak, swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, like James told us. We're going to keep ourselves separated from the world. And when we do that, and we do that because we want to glorify God, we want to bring glory to Him. We want to give Him praise and honor then you know what God's going to do in response to that? He's going to keep us separated from the evil and the evil one. Amen. 
But without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must, number one, believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Crucifying the flesh, living this kind of Christ life is living and submitting our bodies as living sacrifices. Amen. Living the kind of life that God separated life so that God will separate us from the evil and from the evil one. Remember, Isaiah said this, and the islands shall be delivered. They shall be delivered by the cleanness and by the pureness of thy hands. There's something about walking in holiness, walking in the love of God, walking in the spirit. Uh, John said it this way. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ continually cleanses us from all sin. In other words, the sin that's in the world is not going to get in us. It's the blood of Jesus that is separating us from the evil and from the evil one. Glory to God. I just preached myself happy. Praise the name of the Lord. Amen. Verse 15 through 17. For you ought to say, if the Lord will, then then we'll live and we'll do this and we'll do that because he's the one that's going to determine. He's the one that's eternal. I mean, this life changes. You're walking along, everything's going well, and all of a sudden your head was, is, is thrown where your feet were just a few minutes before, and you're wondering how in the world did this happen? Well, welcome to uh, life in this world. But now you rejoice in your boastings. In other words, you're proud of what you're doing. You're putting yourself first. You're putting God second. And, you, and, and, and these believers are proud of it. They're boasting about it. And James says, all rejoicing is evil. Therefore, to him that knows to do good and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. So these are Christian believers that know better, but they're not doing it. And James is saying, you know, you know what I'm saying is the truth. You know better. But you're not doing it. And to you, it's sin, you see. And so there are valuable things in the word of God. Amen. Now, I want to close with this. This is, comes out of Wycliffe Bible Commentary. Notice this. A Christian man in making his plans ought to acknowledge his dependence upon God and say, if the Lord will. But acknowledgement of dependence upon God was not the case among the, these James's readers, those that he wrote this letter to. Rather, they boast in their arrogance. Uh, bra bra uh, this braggart talk James denounces as evil. And then he says this. Wycliffe says this. A concluding warning is sounded for the self-confident people or merchants. They are Christians. Hence, they know that humility and dependence upon God are essential in Christian living. To know this and not to do it is sin. So there we have it. That's chapter four. And we can take away from this, you know, just the reassurance that if we'll do things God's way, if we'll put God first, everything that we desire in life, God will supply it. It will be his good pleasure to give us the kingdom. But we're going to have to put God first. Amen. And make no provision for the flesh. Heavenly Father, we love you. We bless you. We praise you in Jesus name. Now, Lord, uh, the word preached. Cause it to take root on the inside of us and produce fruit. And Father, we'll give you the praise, honor, and glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if you were to die today, that you would be prepared for heaven? If you're not sure, then I encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Father God, I come to you through your Son, Jesus Christ. 
I repent and ask you to forgive me of my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I surrender my heart and life to you. By faith, I believe I receive you as my Lord and Savior, and I thank you for receiving me in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed this prayer and desire to know more about the gift of Christ that the Heavenly Father offers you, then email us at rbtc86 at gmail.com. We will be glad to answer your questions promptly and provide you at your request with materials that will help you to grow in your faith in the Lord Jesus. This is Patsy Dunning. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. And let me remind you to tune in to this station at the same time next week to hear more of the wonderful words of life. God bless you and remember what Jesus said. It is the Spirit who gives life.